Hi, I'm Dr. Sabko in Hatton. I'm a neuroscientist specialising in animal and human learning mechanisms. I'm Jamie Penrith and I specialise in working with dogs with problematic chase behaviours and I'm also a former police dog handler. And I'm Danny Wells. I'm a dog trainer that specialises in extreme behavioural problems. Every week we sit down to talk about the latest research in canine science. And more importantly, how you can apply it to your own dog or dogs to get to know them even better. Welcome to the Dog Scholar. Well, here in the UK, it's Guy Fawkes Night, which is basically when we celebrate some guy trying to blow up our democracy by setting off loads of fireworks. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> and I have a question. Go on. Why do some dogs hate fireworks? Yeah, I like the way you used some. Do you? Yeah. Do you like my use of some? I do, because I think it, it's um, it's very subjective. Uh, you know, uh, none of my dogs ever have hated fireworks. Really? It's just been there. Yeah, yeah, it just happens. How about you, Jamie? No, I haven't had dogs that have been afraid of fireworks yeah. either. Never. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that, that, that you know, I don't take away from the fact that it exists. And oh, 100% people, it exists. Dogs are absolutely yeah. terrified of fireworks, but it's never been something that I've experienced yeah. with um, a dog. Jimmy and Luther aren't bothered, but Red doesn't like them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Different yeah, I think that there, there, there is such a thing as like genetic fear, isn't there? But mm. let's um, hopefully in this episode we'll uh, we'll show you how to make that a yeah. little bit easier, isn't it? Yeah. Well, do yeah. you like fireworks? I like fireworks. Do you? I, I find them boring. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> I like the smell of them, and I like the smell of bonfire. <gasps> I love the smell of fire, which is sort of yeah. like a bit of a <laughs> worrying thing to hear sat next to you, isn't it? Good job <laughs> yeah. I'm here, Jay. Good job I'm here. Fill out this personality <laughs> questionnaire, Jamie. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm a weird one with it. I, I love it when like big ones that completely fill the sky I think yeah. it's overwhelming but I'm not too fussed on crowds really yeah no. yeah so it's it's difficult yeah it's difficult I love I had, um, I had a great um, I had a great experience on it you know the, when we turned the millennium 2000 um, me and my dad we were, we were crossing the Runcorn Bridge bang on 12 o'clock and there was not another person on that bridge apart from police. And we just stopped on the Runcorn Bridge and stood with the police. And literally 360 degrees around us, the whole sky was filled with fireworks. Wow. That's a moment I, re- I remember with my dad forever. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, un- to see it was unbelievable. Yeah. 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 I love fireworks. Bonfire night is my favourite night. I absolutely love it. I love the the sight. I love the smell. I'm not that bothered about crowds, but I know what you mean. But I would always prefer to go to an organised display than try to do them in the back garden because that's dangerous, boys and girls, so do not do that. Mm. But, yeah, I love it. Danger. Love I it. laugh in the face of danger. From the smell and the thing, the nostalgic, the child in me thinks back to, you know, approaching that time of year at primary yeah. school or whatever and you get a piece of black paper and your chalks and your, yeah. you yeah. draw your yeah. fizzes and sort of like, and now the miserable adult in me sees millions of pound experience explosing over, you know, <laughs> people who've got financial difficulties and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. It probably could be <laughs> yeah. better spent, couldn't it, yeah. if it's a public display? Living in a world of worrying about global warming, but setting off a load of carbon yeah. in the atmosphere. Yeah. It's fun! <laughs> and on the plus side, there's mulled wine, so what's not to like? Yeah, fair, yeah. Enough, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. But look, fireworks are really loud, aren't they? They're actually between 150 and 175 decibels, which is super, super loud. And, so, and for comparison, a rocket launching is 195 decibels. Mm. So they are quite loud. They are quite loud. What do you think humans can hear between what range? Go and have a guess. Depends who's speaking to you, doesn't it? Yeah, what? it depends who you're talking <laughs> to. Depends yeah. who's speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, between zero and 130 decibels is the human hearing range. Anything above 130 can cause damage to ears. So, sorry, that's the safe hearing range. Oh, yeah, safe yeah? hearing yeah. range. Okay. Dogs, what do you think they can hear from? Go on. Minus 15 decibels. Mm-hmm. And anything over 85 decibels can cause damage. So their hearing is actually about four times better than people. Yeah. Yeah, so we're still, yeah you're still shouting commands at your dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they're still not doing yeah. it. <laughs> A human whisper between 20 and 30 decibels. So that kind of puts it into comparison. Yeah. So if a human whisper is that little, like dogs can hear bodily vibrations of termites in a wall. That mm-hmm. is how sensitive their hearing is. So training vessels, we can't hear them, can mm. we? But dogs absolutely can. Cats can hear even better, but that's only really relevant for Halloween, dear listeners. Yeah. So they're afraid of fireworks. What does that mean to the dog? Yeah, like a, a cue that triggers 
a, lo a load of stress. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It means that there's changes in the way that you think, changes in your brain chemistry, changes in your motivation, changes in the way that you express yourself. It's a change in the experience. The way you function. That's, yeah, yeah, that's deeply unpleasant, mm. really. When we're talking about fear as well, there's a key difference, isn't there? Because like fear is something that's adaptive, yeah? You're responding to a threat in the environment in a way that's going to keep you alive. But then you've also got anxiety, haven't you? Which is like the anticipation of a negative outcome. And I think the reality is they kind of interact to promote each other. Anxiety triggers fear, fear triggers anxiety. So it's actually quite common for dogs to fear loud noises in general. Uh, the most common are fireworks and gunshots, funnily enough. Um, but to be able to tell whether your dog's afraid, it is really important that you're able to recognize it. And not everyone is as good at that as you might think. In fact, a thousand dog owners were surveyed on their dog's responses to fireworks to try and understand that. And about half of them reported fear of fireworks and less than half sought help. So only 14% of that 50% sought any kind of help uh, to deal with their dog's fear responses. And actually it found that the owners themselves weren't always that great at recognising fear. And of course, we've looked at research before that shows that owners aren't great at recognising stress either. So, you know, there's something about how we read the dog. Um, interestingly, the older the dog, the more likely they were to display some kind of fear. But the results showed certainly an association between animals whose owners comforted them and higher levels of fear and increased duration of fear and subsequently higher levels of fear over time. So there was something in this study that said fear responses to loud noises were common. People don't always ask for help with it. People don't always recognize mm -hmm. it. And when they do, they're doing things that actually make that fear mm -hmm. response last longer. I think the, I think the problem is people are, um, people do feel like they recognize fear, but the problem is they recognize it when it's way too late and too far gone. Nine times out of 10, they, they, they see the extreme end of this fear and then it's overwhelming for both the dog and the owner. So what did he do? They go in and try and comfort the way out of it. And you know, it's not really the way to go, is it? I suppose it's quite intuitive, isn't it? Because yeah, if, yeah. if you see someone that's upset, you want to comfort them. Yeah. And it's easy to transpose that onto your dog. But actually what you're doing then is you're reinforcing a fear behavior, hmm. which is then going to trigger the dog to do it more. So the dog is taking its cue from you all the time. And if it's frightened, and you're going, shh, shh, there, there, it's okay. You're trying to say, everything's okay. You've got no need to be afraid. But what the dog's learning from that is, oh, mm -hmm. my response is absolutely appropriate in yeah, this yeah. circumstance. I'm going to continue doing it because yeah, yeah. I'm clearly doing the right thing. So we're not saying that we're reinforcing the emotion in the dog because obviously the dog's not aware of its own emotional state. But what we are saying is we're creating unhealthy coping strategies for the dog. Fear is an essential part of life. Fear, fear is something that we fear. Do you know people fear the concept of fear as being a negative thing? Fearing things keeps you alive. You do, if you didn't fear anything, you wouldn't live very long. It's like if you had yeah, the yeah. inability to perceive the, the sensation yeah, yeah. of pain, you wouldn't live very long. There is a condition that affects, you know, uh, a small number of people where that can't happen. They can't experience pain. And by the time they actually, you know, have received medical assistance in a lot of instances, gangrene and, you yeah, know, yeah. limb loss, et cetera, is set in. They, they live short and you know, very, very miserable uh, to an extent lives. But I think it's important for, for people to to not panic about the dog, that you, the fact that your dog might be fearful of something. And also where we try and like rationalize things and in saying why they should be, you know, why, why the, the dog should understand it in the way that we understand it. Predictability is incredibly important. And if there was a different species, if we were the dog and there was a different species that was the human. So we're the, you know, we're, we're, the, we're there companions we're their pets and they know, I'd like that but if they know that on a particular day of the year of which we have no concept of because we don't understand calendars mm. that when you walk around certain corners in the street someone's going to go Rah! in your face and now a proportion it's like being of us, in london but a, yeah, 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 yeah. a proportion of us people would walk around there and think oh not that bothered move on Others might walk around and think, oh, my God. Yeah. And if you were to try and think, oh, right, well, we've got to address that. We've got to address that. But it only happens yeah. that infrequently. And we try to build you up for when it's going to be the time of year when you're going to walk around the corner and someone's going to scream in your face. But I don't understand that. Mm. I've got no concept of it. So I try and get you used to it. And so, do you know what I mean? But yeah. there are certain individuals, dogs, are, they're not you know, production line products. They are individuals. Some individuals have higher... Uh, you know, propensities to be able to feel startled, yeah. to, to feel fear to others. And I think it's important that 
you know, that people understand that, that just because this dog wasn't, this dog is, or their dog isn't, your dog is, they are individuals. And there are times where when you look at it from their perspective and you break it down, you think, it's no wonder, really. You know, if you're that predisposed to feel startled, it's no wonder because you're not able to predict when it's going to happen and you're not able to control whether it does or not, which are key ingredients, aren't they? Yeah. To, yeah, to yeah. creating an unstable individual. As we know, dogs will always act best when they can predict outcomes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's a really good point. And actually not that many studies really focused on fear expression itself and what that looks like. So perhaps it's a little wonder that lots of people find it difficult to kind of identify that. And there are lots of assumptions in this. You know, you've got the classic studies where dogs were exposed to threatening stimuli, something that was supposed to be frightening. And all of those studies found things like lowered body posture, low ears, low tail, licks and yawns to a, uh, a lesser extent and shaking and crouching. But those classic studies mixed up social stimuli that the dogs would find frightening. So a scary looking person, for example, um, and non-social. So in this case, sounds, loud sounds. So you don't really know whether they're experiencing or they're showing a different fear response, depending on whether it's something that's in a social situation that might require a different kind of response to something that's kind of more unpredictable in the environment. So we want to look here at fear. Social is probably more to do with anxiety. Um, now, there was one study that I found that looked at fear expressions of dogs during New Year's Eve fireworks. And they got uh, the owners were asked to film their dogs for five minutes uh, during the fireworks on New Year's Eve. Uh, and again, several days later, at a similar time in the evening as a control so that they can look at what the dog's normal behavior was to see what they were doing differently when the fireworks were going off. And they coded them. And they typically found the ears going back interestingly even when the ears were still upright for alertness they were still turned back at the base so they didn't need to be fully turned back which yeah. differed to what the classical studies showed which would say no the ears have to be flat back for it to be classed as fear yeah. so it wasn't it was more subtle than that um and you know that could be a useful indicator for us of some kind of non-social fear but again that's also seen during frustration isn't it and uh submission type and not breaches. just that it's so part of the survival as well you know if the, if if there's something in the back of their mind that they need to be aware of they will tilt their ears yeah. towards you know yeah. some, something in the background yeah. it, it's quite a common thing for dogs to do it's alertness yeah. yeah alertness they also found the dogs um had more locomotion so they were pacing a lot more they found yeah. it quite hard to settle during the fireworks as well and there were more vocalisation so they were yeah. whining a little bit more as well um, in interestingly as an aside there was a different study that thought elevated blinking was linked with fear but of course blinking is part of the startle reflex so that's entirely possible this study found more blinking generally, but when they ran the test, it wasn't statistically significant. So it was no more likely than chance, but it looked like there was a bit more blinking. Also, lots of people will say that their dogs hide when they're afraid. And this study looked at that um, and it found there was some evidence of dogs hiding, but again, it wasn't st mm. statistically significant between the two times, whether there were fireworks or no fireworks. Mm. So uh, kind of on the fence with that one. Again, it wasn't a perfectly controlled study. People were sending in their own videos. So there could be other things going on in the household that are creating these behaviours. Uh, but what it really showed is how difficult it can be to pin down the behaviours and how easy it is to assume. I, as a dog trainer, I find that... Um, I find that aspect of the science really interesting because, you know, while we're concentrating on what fear responses are, I'm sure you'll have picked up on this, Jay. What that study actually shows me is a thousand people are allowing their dogs to seek out their own unhealthy coping strategies towards fear. There's too much freedom for them to do things. We're not teaching our dogs, this is happening, but you can do this and it's fine. Yeah. We're letting them pace. The more they pace, they're perpetuating that that anxiety within them and it's going to get worse. Yeah. Um, the more they hide, the, the more you're allowing them that unhealthy you know, uh, coping outlet. Yeah. There's things... Um God, I always sound, I always feel like I've become a bit of a sort of like fun sponge when I speak. But the way that my yeah, mind goes. Yeah, but you are with, fun sponge but, and we love yeah, you. Yeah. But the way the that my mind goes with things like this is, um, again, it's, it's this, we're, we're focusing on, or we, we as, as society, as dog owners or, you know, dog caregivers, whatever you want to term yourself, focus on, um, seeing a fearful behavior in a dog as being an, an innately negative thing or an inherently, yeah. sorry, negative thing. Look, if you're in the garden and you see a mouse and the mouse sees you and the mouse freezes and then the mouse scuttles away, that's a fear response. Yeah. 
I'm not worried about it. No, it's about I'm not trying to yeah. retrain the behaviour of the mouse yeah. because it's living as this fretful <laughs> life. And uh, but, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it, equally, if I see anything else, if I see a young leveret in a field and you see buzzards yeah, circling yeah. over and it freezes and it pins its ears uh, to its back and it lowers yeah. itself down, you'd think very nice. Look at that innate behaviour there, that animal mm. protecting itself and making sure that it's kept from harm. And it's a, a natural survival yeah, response, but we tend to jump on everything, yeah. give the word fear, and automatically, we've got to eradicate yeah. it. We've got to remove it. It's indicative of yeah. poor welfare state in the animal. No, no, it's indicative of what the animal is yeah. in a given context. Yeah. If it goes through it and it uh, continues to yeah. become this chronic state that destroys the, the animals, the dog's ability to yeah. be able to cope with life, its state of affairs, problematic. Yeah. If it's something that occurs, uh, you know, infrequently, but perhaps perhaps to a, a high intensity, given a high intensity thing, yeah. like a fireworks display, it's that animal's way of coping with that. You know, yeah. should it continue on problematic? Yeah. Should it pass and go on? Okay. It's the mouse yeah. that sees the person walking. It's the lever that sees the buzzard circling. It's just doing what nature is telling it to do in a situation that it feels That's uncomfortable it. with. And, and in a lot of cases, you know, the, the only issue is that we're, we're having dogs integrate into a human world mm. so the problem is actually for us mm. do you know what i mean unless obviously there's, there's there's chronic fear or that them loud noises or whatever's triggered that fear is put on a queue i.e you take your dog for you, you take your dog for a walk the second they step outside bang now your dog won't go outside and is, is climbing the lead if you're trying to take them outside obviously that's when it becomes a problem but you know you see a lot of people talking about fire bonfire night and they're like the, the animals the animals outside and this which i, I do get 100 percent get but as jamie said there's a million and one things every year that these animals outside are scared of and they all find their adequate coping strategies. They'll burrow, they'll hide, they'll, they'll group together. They do things naturally. It's just another day in the office. Nature intends us to adapt and overcome. Yeah. 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 And I, I do, you know, it, it is anything that we feel that we have got some control over that we own, you know, or that we're a caregiver to. It does feel like that that's where we direct our energies you know and ignore any other animal within the animal kingdom that would do exactly the same thing and then you can over amplify it can't can't you and say how terrible it is like you know any war that's ever happened any fireworks or any bangs that have ever happened you know technically we ought to have countries around the world that have got species that live in absolute terror yeah. you know permanent terror for all these bangs and such and such but one thing that you, you will do notice, according to the internet well yeah, <laughs> but, but what one thing that you will you know, um, notice is that from ourselves as well as like a human animal is that if you get used to something, the unpredictability, the uncontrollability, you know, the uncertainty of things can create that startle, can create that fear. But once you get used to it, if you blow a car horn at me down a country lane, I think, oh my goodness, the first time. But then I hear several car horns and I hear more car horns down the country lane and in other lanes. And in such and such, yeah, my fear response will, will lessen and, you know, I will come to realize it's just part of life, yeah. you know, but I think it's the infrequency of fireworks yeah, yeah. That, that prevents that from happening. If you had fireworks every night of the week, Maybe you we wouldn't should. have such an issue. Maybe we I should. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. I knew I you were going to say I that. Maybe there, should be some, maybe there should be some um, some research on dogs in uh, in conflict zones where there's bangs all yeah. the time and yeah. see how they get Ooh, on. Yeah, that'd yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Alternatively, I could rule the world and make every night bonfire night. Yeah, yeah, that'd be that. Except be great, we wouldn't yeah. put persecuted minorities on bonfires because I really, I'm not down with that. No. No, fair Still enough. Still don't like that. Fair enough. Still don't like that. I never put a guy on the bonfire. Do you know? I don't think no. many people do. Depends what do. guy it is. I, I, I don't like some guys. <laughs> <laughs> Still a bit harsh. But when when you say about the the studies there as as well, Sab, you know, is is you know, I wonder what would have happened with those responses because you just got those natural responses, mm. haven't you? You know, I, I, something made me startled. Something's unusual. Something such and such. I can't rationalise it. Someone can't explain yeah. it to me. So nature takes over. I wonder what would happen if you said, okay, we're going to do that repeatedly yeah. for six months. Habituation yeah. would happen. Yeah, yeah. Right. Habituation, right. Right. Habituation is exactly what would happen. Yeah. 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 Habituation is essentially when you get used to something happening so much that you no longer have a response to it. Absolutely. Great conversation. I love this topic. And I love fireworks, but we'll be right back after the break. Okay, so we hear lots of things um, about people, you know, being recommended treatments um, to be able to help their dogs who are afraid of bonfire, uh, bonfire night, who are afraid of fireworks and loud bangs and stuff. Personally, I'm sceptical about a lot of those things. Um, but what does the science say on that? 
I did find a study that looked at how people responded to their dogs uh, that were afraid of fireworks, various treatments and things. And there was a survey done of uh, more than 1,200 people. So it was relatively large and it looked at how effective these treatments were. And the four main strategies that you could kind of group them under were um, modifying the environment in some way. So closing the windows, playing music or giving the dogs a hiding place for them to go to. Um, It was feeding and playing was another one. Uh, It was alternative treatments like there were neuroceuticals which are essentially food supplements pheromones which are basically a chemical messenger that you sweat out uh, homeopathic remedies which are glorified water and herbal products uh, within the kind of alternative group and the last one was interaction so kind of bodily contact petting and talking to the dogs now only feeding and playing was actually associated with any improvement in fear none of the rest of them worked um with the alternative Alternatives, if it was like a commonly prescribed drug, like a benzodiazepine, which is essentially a sedative, which slows down the brain and the body's functions, that worked. They reported improvements, but none of the rest of it, not the pheromones, the neuroceuticals, the homeopathic uh, remedies or the herbal products, they they really didn't do a great deal, certainly no more than chance. So it just, it, it didn't do anything really. It was a bit like giving the dogs a sugar pill. It might have made the owner feel better by giving them something, but it certainly didn't make an impact on the dogs. Um, counter conditioning. So the feeding and the playing, giving the dog something nice after the occurrence of the noise was the most successful. About 70% of those in, mm. reported. But I, ju- I, I just want to point out on that one that, that there's got to be pretty early intervention for that to take place. Cause yeah. when, when true fear is kicked in, your dog doesn't really want to interact or eat at all, does yeah. it? So it has to be quite early intervention. Well, the the the, the brain, ch- the body, and the brain changes when you're experiencing that kind of stress. You're under you're under stress. You uh, your responses slow down, so you you end up not wanting to eat. Your appetite becomes suppressed. Yeah. So you're absolutely right yeah. that it has to be an early intervention. In fact, relaxation training, giving the dog somewhere to switch off, um, was about sixty nine percent successful as well. Noise CDs, where you're habituating works, the dog yeah. to the noise, it was a effective in about 55% of cases. So actually that kind of ad hoc counter conditioning and relaxation training should really complement that kind of standard behavioral technique of desensitization and, and uh, uh, with with those noise res- recordings as well. I think it's, in, you know, for the aim of the show is to help uh, dog owners all around the world. And, and, and that being said, you know, w- w- this is a consumer driven market and you have to be really careful with these homeopathic remedies where obviously the science doesn't back it up. There's many people out there trying to sell you lotions, potions, different, different sorts of um, equipment, but follow the science, follow the science where it leads and question everything because it's a, it's a multi-million dollar industry and you, you, you're literally getting led down the garden path. You know, these things aren't proven to work at all. So, and, and when it comes to, um, to medication, you know, if, if it's too late, you've just got your dog and your dog's, you know, dithering away. Um, that can take an edge off without a doubt, but yeah. it's not something that should be relied on. It should be, you know, obviously a company, a good counter conditioning mm. protocol. If your dog feels better for medication, we call that a false positive when we, mm. you're getting it because of the medication. You want to be working with things, yeah. don't you? But you never see a gun dog stressed on bonfire, never. Like, do you? Never. I was just talking to you Jamie. Can, you <coughs> I don't, but you can get gun shy yeah, gun dogs. Yeah, you can get gun shy, usually because they've been exposed way too, you know, they've shot over them, over them rather than yeah. uh, subjected them. So I was talking to Jamie before we started this and, um, I was saying I um I took a uh, Brody, my old protection dog, and Flint, me um me gun dog, to watch a firework display, and it um as soon as the firework went off, that triggered Brody Brody into drive. He's looking for the criminal, and Flint's looking for ducks. <laughs> Flint's looking around, looking for something to fall out the sky. So it's all about again Aww. association of ideas. How, yeah. how does that dog relate to what that is? Yeah, it's yeah. what they're expecting to follow, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. This is what that that um leads nicely into what I was thinking there is with the, what they're expecting to follow. I think if you've got, and, and anybody can relate to this, you, you don't need to be a dog trainer or anything to relate to this. If you think of something that you are genuinely very, very afraid of, okay, for what it was, heights, spiders, you know. Dressing up for Halloween episodes. Yeah, yeah, Just see the fear in Jamie's face. Pinnacle. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know. A little pumpkin. Would, would you lose that fear because you had some food after you experienced that fear? Would you Depends lose if there were benzodiazepines in my food. Right. Yeah. So, so <laughs> on its own, you know, and, and I would also say so, when you remove that, so if I'm not there to give you the food, if I'm not there to play with you, um, when you hear the fireworks, would you still think, yay, fireworks? I don't mind now because I had some food and I played a while ago. And does mm. exposure to 
you know, a couple of garden rockets or a, or a Catherine wheel, which are, you know, obviously types of firework, does that transfer across to a firework display? If my neighbours let off 350 a thousand pounds worth of fireworks in that garden does my counter conditioning process that I've gone through of playing my desensitization CD and giving you some food and little crackle here and there and a sparkler that you can see and giving you some food does it really cross over into the what you are going to experience in real life mm. which is full intensity because life isn't going to sit back and think mm. I'll go in gentle with this one because he's in the middle of a training yeah. program and and that is the difference between people who are seeking you know the correct information with the best intentions they, they, they think they've exhausted all avenues, but working with a professional who's done this for years with thousands of dogs, there's just no comparison. We, we, we've worked, the, we've worked out over the years, haven't we, Jamie, with different dogs that show different traits, how best to go about these things. So your average pet owner at home might think, Oh, I've tried all this. It's not the same as working with a professional. No. It, it really isn't. Professional dog trainers, reputable professional dog trainers will be able to work with your dog from a dog centered approach and work out a, a, a real solid counter conditioning protocol and i think as well because this is such a, a serious issue for so many people it's a national thing isn't it, of course it is. comes out every t you know if you had a canine calendar you know that went and said you know don't eat chocolate at easter careful of hot tarmac and you know car cars in the summer and then you know fireworks and then chocolate at christmas and then fireworks at new year it comes around every single time yeah. so it's it's a it's a major issue for a lot of people and it's probably been magnified a lot you know in, in media and things like that as well to, to make it more of a more of an issue it sells mm. but you know as well as that like you're saying from a professional perspective equally a professional genuine professional somebody who's being truly on honest with you will recognize when there is a time where you say there isn't anything that you can do yeah genetic for, for this. Yeah. So, yeah, it yeah. Is, it is genetic yeah. it is too entrenched yeah now is not the time to go and throw more and more and more money yeah. seeking an answer for something that we've seen so much of that we can say this animal sits in this category, this dog sits in this category, where unfortunately, you know, for us, we can't achieve the aims that we want to achieve with it. But as long as the dog, you know, if you're able to manage it in some other way, perhaps go away to a countryside location where you're unlikely to see fireworks just for a week, if you can, you know, I know it's not the world, but if you're able to do that, to be able to remove your dog from the situation, and if the other 11 and a half months of the year or 11 months of the year they live in happiness, you know, without... um experiencing yeah. such such traumatic events so be it and actually both of you have got really good programs online that people can look at jamie's got a fantastic one with his puppies haven't you jamie i have yeah i've got a, a puppy development program on my patreon platform which in actual fact the um the fireworks example uh, was something that i i showed i um subjected my pups to when they were i believe about six weeks old and i had a, an external wi-fi speaker bluetooth speaker yeah. that was playing a full fireworks yeah. display yeah as uh, their food was scattered along the floor yeah. and the speakers going off. My neighbours love me. Speakers yeah. going off with crashes and bangs and fizzes and whooshes and everything else as the dogs are eating. They couldn't care less. Yeah, yeah we do that. But I think it's important though, you know, um, like with the CDs or anything like that, it doesn't allow for everything. You don't get the scent. You don't get yeah, yeah. the, yeah. you know, the, the vibrations in the air. You don't, you know, the reverberations and things like that that dogs can also pick up on. So um, it's a brilliant way to... Uh, if you like, reduce the probability. Yeah. Basically create that ladder of getting closer and closer yeah. to yeah. the real thing. Yeah. I, I we do love it when you yeah. get your puppies out. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we, we, uh, me and Jamie deal, deal specifically in prevention for this sort of thing, but I'm very interested in, is there any literature that says, there's, there's, what, what does the literature say on prevention? Well, there is quite a bit, actually. Um, and we know that there are risk factors with this. You know, before we start even looking at, present, at prevention, what are the risks of, of the dog experiencing fear? with fireworks and and there are possibly contributing genetic factors there are environmental experiences the age of the dog because we know that fear of noise is usually on sets around two years old which is in line with their general development of fear um they could also be in pain so older dogs might yeah. be experiencing some kind of pain and that's making them uh more sensitive which is more likely to then explain a later onset of noise sensitivity but generally research shows that noise fears increase with age and get worse over time so you're right to ask whether there's anything in the science to to show that we can prevent this from happening because it is a problem. 
Now, one study found that playing the radio during feeding time in German shepherd pups between the ages of 16 and 32 days, exactly as you were describing with your puppy program there, um, led to more favorable responses when there were sudden loud noises when they tested a puppy at the age of seven weeks. So it definitely made a difference. There was another study where a questionnaire went out to more than 1,200 dog owners. Um, and again, they showed that about 52% were affected by fireworks. So that was in line with the study that we'd looked at before. But they looked at then the recovery times and three quarters had recovered by the next morning. For 10%, the recovery took a, a day. For 12%, it was up to a week. And for 3%, it was up to several weeks or months. So, you know, there was something there certainly that shows that this is having an impact on a longer term, making prevention all the more important. And interestingly, neutered dogs were more afraid of fireworks than intact dogs. We've touched on neutering in a previous episode. Yeah. And if you click the card, you'll be able to see. Um, Dogs with health problems were more likely to be afraid of fireworks, which is in line with what we were talking about. Now, people who started prevention training before their dogs were afraid of fireworks seemed to be really successful, particularly when they did it when they were puppies. And they were much less likely to get problems with fireworks, which makes your puppy program all the more important. Um, ad hoc counter conditioning, like we talked about in the previous study, uh, and again, that's providing a high value incentive after the occurrence of those noises um, and relaxation training where the dogs are trained to relax in a particular place on cue. Again, they were certainly, according to this study, the most effective training techniques for stopping the fear of fireworks happening in the first place. So if you can prevent that by early training, I think that'd be a really kind of valuable piece of advice that even vets could give out when people are bringing their new puppies in. You know, wouldn't that be a really great thing Absolutely. if not just talking about the you know the, the 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 vaccinations that your dog needs but really thinking about those behavioral impacts mm. that we know are likely that we could do something about just with a bit of good advice absolutely absolutely well you you know like you say you you know what a dog is going to be expected to cope with you know yeah. what life is going to a degree you know what life is going to throw at them the dog doesn't you know mm. or the puppy doesn't but the focus too much on um you know, on the early development, on early rearing, is too much geared towards yeah. socialization. Inoculate, give them their jabs, make yeah. sure they're fleet and wormed. Take then them everywhere, yeah, do yeah, this, do yeah. that. And then, you know, and the, the, the whole socialization they have to meet rather than they have to experience. Yeah. Let them experience, like you were saying there, Danny, before, in incremental steps, you know, so you don't throw them straight, okay, we're going to a firework party while you're eight weeks old and you're going to love this or whatever. But can you take me just, instead? Just yeah. gradually, gradually you, you would love it, wouldn't you? Love, but but gradually, God, it. gradually build it up. And also, see things for more than just being what they are. So if I want to address a dog, if I want to raise a puppy to become a young dog that isn't afraid of fireworks, then it's important that I don't simply focus on exposing them to fireworks or to firework-like things, but other things as well that that pup may otherwise, you know, develop a fear of in later life so that you get this sort of like collection of things that you've brought your pup up to realise, oh, that doesn't mean anything, that's not important, no, nor is that, that happens often, I can expect that, that's nothing to worry about, nothing. And fireworks can just fall in with that category as well, you know, excluding genetic I think issues it, where, where, you know, yeah. where the pup comes with it and there's not a lot you can do about that. I think new dog owners are guilty of just being very reactive in the way that they have a dog. I always explain to clients who work with me, that you should be making a compiling a little list when you're planning on getting your dog, whether it be an adult dog or a puppy, have a list of things that you expect that dog to do and, and things that you expect the dog not to do. And that's how you're going to systematically work through these things. You know, if you're not thinking that this could be a problem, what's in my, in my environment, in my lifestyle that might affect this dog? You know, I'm a planning to have children and, and fireworks fall into that bonfire night's going to be every year. Just, I change in the way you think about a dog and not just having it and seeing what the world brings and planning ahead is going to make a massive difference to how that dog develops and all them things that Jamie just mentioned yeah. will, will, will be covered, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, you've got, you've yeah. got to prepare for it. At the end of the day, the world yeah. isn't going to change. You know, 4th of July isn't going to stop. Celebrations aren't going to stop. New Year's Eve celebrations aren't going to stop. Bonfire night celebrations aren't going to stop. And if it does, you can all come around my house because <laughs> I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It stops because you bought all the fireworks. <laughs> yeah. you know, I think it, that's great for the fire chief. She's going to have loads of, loads of explosives in her back garden. <laughs> And then overcrowd it. <laughs> we won't do that, David. Honest. Oh, but yeah, no matter. I'll do it know. around Jamie's house because he's got loads of space. Yeah, <laughs> right. I've got loads of dogs. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I just it, it. 
no amount of petitions to ban fireworks or anything like this or yeah. you know yeah so we're definitely not doing that no social no. media groups banging on about how much we hate fireworks and everything absolutely fine that isn't going to help your dog it's on but you it's on you you can't blame festives and other people's joy for your lack of commitment to teach your dog some outcomes and if unfortunately you've got a dog that's genetically that way inclined then you just have to cater for it because the world we live in can be a scary place and if you take away fireworks they'll be scared of something else yeah. you have to learn to manage that if you've got a dog that's genetically a bit fearful you're going to have to learn to manage that correctly and make your dog comfortable in them times or you're going to have to start planning ahead and counter condition these irrational fears yeah, it's not like we're saying, oh, you've got a dog that's afraid of fireworks. You've done something wrong. It's your fault. It's completely yeah. the opposite to yeah, what we're saying. Yeah, what we're absolutely. saying is there is a solution yeah. that is very, very effective, yeah. which is that plan yeah. for this is going to be part of life when you take on that young dog or when you, there's not a lot you can do if you take on a dog that's come from a, a previous home and it already has those pre-existing, you know, uh, those pre-existing fears or issues yeah. or whatever. But if you are, you know, planning on getting a dog yourself, just know this, just listen to this and know this, that if you want to raise a solid, sound, you know, socially appropriate, socially accepting adult dog, start from yeah. puppyhood. It isn't difficult. You know, any anyone who's, um, who's let's say, heavily funded that's to do with dogs is, all you need is love. All, all you need is to love your dog. That's and a it, brilliant it's, song. It really is, yes. but it's unfortunately, it's not the message for dogs because your dogs need a lot more. Your dogs need, you know, leadership. They need you to tell them what to expect in the world around them and just loving them is not going to cater for that. It really is There's isn't. some really good research on social referencing, which is essentially looking at the way dogs take their cue from your behaviour yeah. as, as their owner. Um, and they really do. They look towards you to decide whether a situation mm. is scary or not sometimes. I mean, there's always things that they kind of find intrinsically scary and a loud noise is a really good example of that. But we can't underestimate how much the dogs will be looking for us to see how we're responding to a given situation, especially if it's novel or unusual. You know, they really do. And, and, and I think you're right. I think there's something here about the information that people get as well, because anyone can go out and get a dog at any point. And we love dogs and it's part of the joy, isn't it? Yeah. That dogs are so accessible and we want more people to love dogs instead of cats because they are absolutely brilliant, right? Cats are brilliant but too. I love cats. cats, I love cats as well. I'm being I ironic. Cats. I was a cat, damn yeah. um, No, but there's something about the advice and how easily accessible that is as well because not many people, when they go out to get a dog, then have access to information that says, actually, there's a really good way of planning ahead to make sure that your dog isn't afraid of fireworks. Absolutely. So if we could if we could get information across to people more readily, more accessibly, perhaps by watching this podcast and sharing it with someone who you might know might be going out to get a puppy, that'd be a really good way, wouldn't it? Actually, yep. Some of this is just about the availability of information and helping people to know things that they didn't know before. So some really interesting things to talk about here, but what can people do practically to help their dogs? Um, you can take it away, Jamie. We've got loads of things we can we can suggest. I love you? that. What can they do? You can take it away. Oh, I, I can take it away if you'd like. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Why did you both take it uh, away? Again, so when I, um, and I still am, but when I started off with the pups with um, two of mine, Tink and Truman. So when you, you know, got your puppies out, Jay? It's the one where I used for the puppy, <laughs> puppy program, the two puppies I yeah. used for the puppy program. But one of the reasons that I did that was because I wanted to dispel a myth. And I wanted to dispel a myth that I had previously given heavy belief to you know I, I was a supporter of which is that if you raise two pups from the same litter you'll never compete yeah. and that the pups will always have this relationship with one another that you can't come between just by dispelling a myth and a myth um being that you know you can't do anything yeah. about preventing dogs if they're going to be afraid of xyz right. but with truman you know what one of the things that i do or did and would do again is that i know the uh, typical response for a young puppy that's afraid of something new is to run away, yeah. you know? So how did I deal with that? I prevented the ability to be able to run away. Yeah. I kept a long line on, which is just basically a 10 metre length of line on him whilst we were doing the early exposure, whilst I was just taking him down and introducing him to life. Obviously, if it's a shorter lead, if there's, um, you know, uh, hazards around, but in this instance, it was in a park, sure enough, alongside a skateboard park, where the bang of a skateboard happened to coincide with another off-lead dog that came running up towards him and took him by surprise. He went, oh, and ran towards a bush, but he couldn't do anything in the bush because he was on a line. And all I did was move backwards with the pressure of the line, brought him towards me. When he came towards me, good boy, on we go. The next day, I bring him down again to the skateboard park. I let the kids bang away on their skateboards with Truman being there. This time, there isn't the coinciding off-lead dog running over to him. Truman realises, bangs are nothing. 
You know, it's just, it was just a fluke. And going forward, if I'd have left that, if I'd have panicked and jumped all over it and said, it's all right, sweetheart. Oh my God, oh my God, sorry. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. And really, really taken hold. I could have created something, but I knew that there was nothing to be afraid of. The only way that I can convey to him that there's nothing to be afraid of is let him experience his fear, his flight response, bring him back. That didn't work, mate. Yeah. Let's bring you back tomorrow and have a look. No need for it. Control and the again, outcome. Yeah, control the outcome. Mm. Neutral exposure, it wasn't necessary. And I think by preventing that flight, if it had gone running off, yip, 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 you know, into the distance, that's problematic, both, mm. both in terms of what you are creating in the puppy yeah. and obviously the welfare of the puppy. And going back to the firework thing off what you were just saying, you know, if, if your response is to jump in and, and, and try and nurture that fear, well, what's going to happen when that fear is present and you aren't present? Now your dog has no coping strategy whatsoever. So, you you know, try and try and not um, let your heart rule your head. Try and think logically towards um, towards all these different situations. Mm. I suppose it's a bit like the difference between your child falling over and you going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it looks like your whole leg's falling off. Or just picking up going, oh, there you go. You're fine. Come on, yeah. You're, yeah. you're brave. Yeah. You got Come this. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. With things like what Jamie was talking before about scattering food with noise, um, I done it a bit different with with my mouths this time round. I allowed the noise to be a precursor. So you know, like everyone knows when you when you're making your dog's dinners, they hear the bowls and they get all excited, and you mm. can hear them and they salivate. I done the same thing. I played I played the sounds that needed to be played as a precursor to me making the dinner. And sure yeah. as you stand, it didn't take long before as that music's playing, looking and salivating, yeah. re- ready ready for food. Like so Pavlov's not, dogs. Yeah, exactly like that. So they're not thinking about this bangs. This thinking oh. I'm getting fed. Mm. And and you're completely controlling the way that mind, yeah. which direction that mind's going in. So the food is an unconditioned stimulus, which becomes a conditioned stimulus because of its association with a positive outcome of getting some food. Yeah. Classic <clears throat> conditioning. Nerd alert. Ah, yeah. I'm I love here. It. I love it. I'm here. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, ding, ling, ling. Yeah. The ice cream yeah. van's coming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want exactly to be a, I'd like to make a point as well about medication. You know, dog trainers, We we it's a bit of a taboo subject with us because I think it's... um. I personally think it's overprescribed and it masks problems. That's not to say that it doesn't serve a purpose. I've, um, I've recommended that clients go and speak to the vet about a bit of um, medication sedatives on certain times, especially if you've, let's say you've got your for dog. For the dogs, not for them. Yeah, yeah, and for them. <laughs> let's say you've got your dog at the end of September and you know all these festives are going to start. Well, that's a bit late to be doing counter conditioning protocols. So a little sedative for a dog that is super fearful of, of loud noises is going to take the edge off for them. That's not what we're saying. It's a great topic, isn't it? It and really there's is. There's so many questions. It really is. And you'd be surprised, viewers at home, how quick you can make a difference dogs dogs are not the fragile little things that that, that they, they're made out to be they're very resilient they're robust they they adapt they overcome i do think it's important as well you know to stress that raising two pups from the same litter isn't what everybody should do on their first outing with young dogs you know it does take time it does take an understanding of what you're doing you know you need to have the space to be able to separate the two pups as well within your home if they're always together they're perhaps sleeping together they're eating together they're exercised together because that's what your time scale allows then it isn't the best idea for people I just need to put that in there because a lot of the time people will think I'll get two and one will keep the other one company bad idea Great topic with some really interesting questions from the science. And talking about interesting questions, dear Jamie. I've what got, got a couple got here. Yeah, listeners? I've got a couple here. So I'll bring you in with the first one. I've got two dogs, one of whom is deaf. My deaf dog seems to lick a lot in comparison to my other dog. Could this be in any way related to their deafness? This is a great question. I had a look at some science on this. And there are studies that show that deaf and visually impaired dogs have show different behaviours and some of which is licking, they can bark more and chew more as well. Uh, And it might actually be due to the differences in the sensory input compared to dogs that haven't got any impairments. So they lose one of their senses and they're seeking stimulation from another sense to compensate for that. So, you know, they're kind of making up for that lack of input. So it could be a thing. Yeah. And we know, and we know, don't we, dogs, dogs will lick them and, 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 put moisture around around their nose so they yeah. expand sense so they might be taking in more information yeah. um, and you hear that with people don't you that when you lose one sense other yeah. senses are more prominent exactly I mean it, it's basically self-stimulation they just needed yeah. a way to or you might just sense. have a liquor you might yeah, just have, might a, just have liquor. a liquor. Yeah. Brilliant, though. There's a bit of scientific answer for you there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's rather, a bit of a change, isn't it? Yeah, rather, between us, that. There rather you go. listening to the ramblings I'm of... Yeah, glad I brought you. some value to the discussion <laughs> You bring value in every episode. <laughs> have, has anyone got any experience with deaf dogs? Yeah, um, I think both me and Jamie have had experience working with a few deaf dogs, um, predominantly using remote collars as a line of communication with the dog, haven't we, Jane? Yeah, I've done um, 
very, very recently, just last week, I was working for the second time with a, a dog, a young spaniel who's completely deaf and uh, owner's really, really struggling. You know, you've got this nearly two-year-old dog that deserves and wants the freedom of life, you know, to yeah. be safe and to yeah. be what it is. It's a spaniel, you know, it needs to do... Needs to spaniel, it needs to be yeah, spaniel. Yeah, yeah. It needs to be spaniel. spaniel. Yeah. No interest in food, no interest in toys, as is often the case with a lot of these working breeds, but fully wants to engage with the environment, you know. Yeah. But how do you call a dog back? How do you get the attention of a dog to keep it safe yeah. when it can't hear you and it's looking the other way? Hand signals are great in certain situations where the dog's looking towards you, but when they're not, how do you get it to do that? And so we, we look at senses, you know, we tend to focus on senses like hearing and sight, but there's also the feeling of touch, obviously. Yeah. And through the use of certain tools, you know, the responsible use of electronic collars, you're allowed to provide that touch with, just like we were saying earlier on, yeah. with the Pavlovian pairing, you know, between um, the sound of your dog's uh, food or the fireworks as your dog's food follows it. In this instance, the feeling of the electronic collar cues the dog tells the dog to turn and as the dog turns boom you know there's the fuss and the praise from the owner yeah. the fun or even, dispensers yeah, out. or yeah. even the ability yeah. to just go back on and do your spaniel in again yeah. but it could just become this you know this 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 touch this conditioned feeling um because they need uh, a different sensory input absolutely. so here we have tactile absolutely yeah. and and you know um as many people are aware there are so much myths and misconception and sort of like um you know demonizing of something because it's electronically operated yeah. but when you see these tools working well the technology is there the technology is there we you know, it, 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 use it. Mm. Um, it's a, to break that down for people who might not understand that. You know, how many times have you had a conversation with someone and they're a bit engrossed in something, and you'll repeat yourself, and you'll repeat yourself, and then you'll go, "I'm, to I'm talking to you," and you'll give them, and you'll give them a tap. That's kind of what the remote collar is yeah. in the, in them situations. Yeah, it it's just a tap. Oh, oh, I'm getting a reward. Yeah. And then you know that that's that's how it works. Yeah. Okay. Then second question: Do dogs innately? understand what children and babies are so what that innately means is just do they naturally you know without having to be taught do they understand what children and babies are for context i have got a boxer who is so lovely and friendly with people but by nature she can be boisterous and rough a typical bouncy boxer that likes to jump and act daft however when we have our newborn she behaves much more gently she gives space and she doesn't jump etc she's the same around children I don't think we have ever taught her this behaviour. Does she just intrinsically know? Well, I would say, one, you know, it's a newborn baby, therefore it wasn't there before and all of a sudden it's here. So what you're probably initially seeing is the dog's response to something alien to them, something that's that's not familiar. So they're not in that aroused state. It's a bit like, what is what is this going on? You'll also probably find that your body language around that dog and that baby dictates the correct behaviour. You're probably a lot more assertive in terms... I'm, 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 do, I'm doing the actions as I'm talking here. You're probably a lot more assertive in your body language, which is, again, is not a cue for the dog to be bouncy and jumping all over you. Yeah, I think there'll be lots of different things that you're yeah. giving off. That, There's a that, lot going on. The dog will pick yeah. up. I don't think the dog innately knows. I think, you know, it'll be innately suspicious or innately inquisitive. Mm. And then they're reading you. Yeah, and, and then they're reading us. Responses. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I would say is, you know, while, while, we're, on, while we're on the subject... Um, kids and kids and dogs are, ne are never a great idea. Make sure you're always supervising your dogs around your kids. Um, I was just going to say the yeah. same well, your thing kids as well. around your dogs. Yeah, and your kids yeah. around your dogs equally, yeah. Newborn baby, bouncy boxer, bouncy boxer in that room, newborn baby in this room, separate the two. No yeah. problems can happen. They don't yeah. need to develop this, you know, beautiful yeah. relationship at that age. Just maintain safety. Right. Great questions. I'm in the mood to be icked. Ick me. Ick me, baby, one more time. Okay. <sighs> I need to call my agent. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to do it on camera. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we've got we've got Dana from Bachelors Bumping Essex. Okay. Ah. Dana says, people who take their dogs to firework displays. Mm, I don't think the jury's out on that. I've took my dog to a firework display. I think Dana, stop, stop being fucking judgmental. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I get what you're saying. You know, if, you, if you're at a firework display and you can blatantly see a dog distressed, then what the hell are you doing at a firework display with your dog? Yeah. But, you know, I think hopefully, you know, watching this show, Dana, you've realised that dogs are different and they should be approached as individuals. One dog might absolutely be thriving off being in such a social environment, while the other one might be absolutely petrified. And I think it's very important to differentiate between the two. Um, again, I think it's, it's very easy to read things according to our own experiences and our own expectations. You know, if you've had dogs or a dog that doesn't like fireworks or doesn't like social situations and you see another dog that you can see mild indicators that they might be uncomfortable, uncomfortable in a given situation, it's easy to think, oh, I know what's happening here. The dog's terrified or whatever. It shouldn't be here it's wrong of you 
But, you know, horses for courses. There are some dogs that can deal perfectly well with going to firework displays. It doesn't necessarily need to apply to all dogs. But obviously, if you see a dog that's in distress at a firework display, then it might be worth just saying to someone, your dog doesn't look very happy. You maybe worth moving away. Or better still, yeah. if it's your dog, don't take them. Um, again. Oh, yeah, we've got another, we've got like another ick. Okay, yeah, so we've got Ivy from Lickers Lane in Merseyside. I actually know where this is. Do you frequent it often, Danny? Um, no. <laughs> we've got, and Ivy just simply says, Puppuccinos. Just why? Disagree. Yeah, what Completely we're saying. Completely agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got dissent within the room. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you why. Because I prefer taking Luther with me for a coffee than most people. So I go and I have a coffee and I sit there and he gets a puppuccino. I got no issues with that whatsoever. As long as they're having something that's you know that, that's appropriate, so it's not like cow's milk that they're getting. It's like goat's milk or something like that, or you know, dog ice cream. I got no issues. With that my, my attitude's always care. just you know. It's your dog. If that's what you you enjoy doing with your dog and your dog's not distressed and it's not causing any drama to anyone, go and enjoy your dog. Um, obviously, if I'm going to be a bit of a stick in the mud, I'll just say be aware of giving your dog, you know, human processed crap. Shouldn't be. Puppuccinos should be a, a, a dog specific. Yeah, yeah, but they can still be processed with... Oh, yeah, no, that's yeah, yeah. true. Yeah, 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 yeah no, that's so, true. yeah. Yeah, look, I'm going to have to... Fun sponge alert again. Yeah. I'm going to have to come in and say I do disagree with it. Um, and I don't disagree with it because there's anything that's inherently bad in mm. giving your dog food that's appropriate or, you know, able to be consumed by a dog. What I disagree with is the need for people to turn a dog into yeah, I get you. some sort of like cosmopolitan, do you know what I mean, animal that likes to go out to given coffee yeah. shops and live the coffee yeah. lifestyle and then go to the park and take in an ice cream while I'm watching the ducks and then go and get my clothing accessories for whatever time of year it happens to be. Are they that, taxidermy that's, ducks? That's what yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, Are they that, stuck? They're not moving. <laughs> that's, that's what I have a personal issue with. It isn't the act itself, but it's what the act reflects, which is a way that society has gone and is continuing to go, which is this insistency of morphing dogs. Insistency. This insistence. <laughs> yeah. Insistence. Which is this insistence upon morphing dogs into non-dog animals, yeah. you know? And I just think... So it's the principle of puppuccinos that you disagree with. Go and get yourself with. a coffee and say, have you got a bowl of water for the dog? Yeah. I don't know. Luther likes a puppuccino. Is there science to back that up? Yeah. Well, I've observed his behaviour. <laughs> there are observable behaviours. And the puppuccino has now become the unconditioned stimulus, has now become a conditioned stimulus. It's a personal thing. It's a personal thing. You want to give your dog some some puppuccino and, and a puppy ice cream and a puppy candy floss yeah. and a puppy hot dog and a puppy whatever yeah. else you want to they do. They don't taste that bad actually. I've had uh, I, I, You've had the puppuccino? I, I had a sip. Yeah. I tested it. Well, and was it after Luther had been licking it? it does, I don't really care. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm like. But it would have to be a pumpkin spice latte for mm. Jamie, wouldn't it? No, there'd be nothing. <laughs> yeah, 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 it'd be a dirty yeah. puddle. Yeah. <laughs> I, I completely, I completely get what Jamie's saying. I, I, I still yeah, stand I on do. it. It's your dog, that. and it's not caused any drama. Just I do what you that. want. It's your yeah. dog. I'm not going to be that person that says it. But I completely get what Jamie's saying. It's only because I don't like going out with people. I'd rather go out with my dog. Yeah, yeah, fair. <laughs> Fair enough. Great questions, though. And if people have more great questions and great icks, where can they get in touch? If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us at Dog Scholar Podcast on social media or you can email podcast at thedogscholar.com. That's all we've got time for this week, I'm afraid. But if you have enjoyed today's episode, please do share it with a friend because if they don't like it, maybe their dogs will. Do it with a puppuccino. <laughs> Danny, take us out with a final thought. Desensitisation starts a year before... The, the event if we're talking about bonfire night a year before the event happens take the time to inoculate your dog's stress and you'll be able to enjoy the festives together well unless you're Dana and you're fucking miserable but yeah you get me <laughs> see you next week oh.